0: While driving across town, I noticed a billboard that said, Find Jesus in the Quran 345. Sometime later, I had gone to the library and I looked for a copy of the Quran, and sure enough, I did find that indeed Jesus is in the Quran. And also to my surprise, I noticed that Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lot, Jonah, Elisha, Noah, Moses, Aaron, Job, King David, Solomon, John the Baptist, Zechariah, the Virgin Mary, and many others were also found in the Quran. Which raised the question, how do the world's religions coexist? You see the bumper stickers, coexist. And indeed, do they? The answer to that question is really quite simple. You just have to ask yourself, how do the world religions address our human sin problem? How is sin forgiven, removed, or paid for? And if they are, exactly how are they? How does one enter heaven, utopia, or paradise? Is it by doing good, killing infidels, some form of reincarnation, or redemption on a cross? If it is by doing good, how good is good enough? And is it by our efforts, or is it by God? Is God the Determinator, or is it us? Is it the things we do, or the things that God did? The common denominator between most of the world's religion is the Bible plus. The Bible plus a new vision. The Bible plus a new revelation. From that has sprung the Book of Mormon, the Watchtower, the Quran, Scientology, and many other faiths are based on some new fact, vision, or revelation. The Bible itself, on its last page and last paragraph, concludes with a warning that nothing is to be added and nothing is to be taken away from its pages. In the case of the Quran, the events are much the same as those of the Bible. It has many of the same characters. So that poses an issue. If you went up to a Muslim and you said, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about John the Baptist, let me tell you about the Virgin Mary... Let me tell you about Moses. Let me tell you about Noah. They would say, I already know them. They're in in the Quran. But the point of conflict is that these, these individuals in the Quran are not the same individuals as those in the Bible. For instance, the Jesus of the Quran is a Muslim, a Muslim Jesus. It says he was a created being from the dust, just like Adam was. All Allah did was say, Be, and he was. That is found in the Shahi International 360. In addition, the Quran in the Shahi al-Bukhahari states that this Muslim Jesus, which actually is in agreement with the Bible, was born of a virgin and was born without sin. However, where things differ is that this Muslim Jesus is said to have become without sin because Satan is the one that produces sin in everybody by touching both sides of their body while in the womb. But for this Muslim Jesus, when he was in the Virgin Mary's womb, rather than touching the sides of Jesus, Satan himself actually touched the placenta of Jesus. And that is why Jesus was born without sin, according to the, uh, the Quran. When reading further in the Quran, you would read about this Muslim Jesus doing many of the exact same thing that the Jesus of the Bible does, such as feeding 5,000, for example. That is in the Shahihah, 5.11. The Quran goes on to state things that this Muslim Jesus did that are completely different than what the Jesus of the Bible did. So, for example, in the four 4.11, One five eight. it states that this Muslim Jesus did not, in fact, die on a cross. Rather, it was an imposter made to resemble this Muslim Jesus who actually died on the cross. And while this was happening, while this trickery was happening, Allah raised the Muslim Jesus up into heaven. Later, during the Muslim Jesus' second coming, he will come down, according to the Shahi, 5.117, this Muslim Jesus will come down and tell the infidel church that they misunderstood the things that the Muslim Jesus has said and done while he was here, that he did not say that he was deity or that God was three in one, that we misunderstood that. And that, quote, that was not for me to say that which I have no right, meaning that the Muslim Jesus was saying that that he did not have any right to say that he was God we misunderstood it and he's coming down to correct this misunderstanding then the Quran goes on to talk about the events of the last hour or the Kitab al-Fatan that this Muslim Jesus had gone around and forced the infidel church to acknowledge that Allah is the sole God And the Muslim Jesus will, quote, show them their blood on his lance. The Bible describes this as the abomination that causes desolation, where the Antichrist sits on the throne of God and declares himself God, and anyone that does not take on his mark is martyred. That's what the Bible says. The Quran says the same thing, but... The people are reversed. The Antichrist is their Muslim Jesus, and the Bible's Muslim Jesus is the Antichrist. The end times of the Quran and the Bible are much in agreement. As one looks in a mirror, they see the same thing, just from an opposite perspective. For example, the Quran's infidels are the Bible's church. The Quran's 12th Amman, the Medin, is the savior and that savior is the bible's beast the quran's antichrist is the bible's jesus the quran's prophet is the bible's false prophet both the quran and the bible speak of an established one world religion the bible says it will be a false religion the quran says the one world religion will be islam Both the Bible and the Qur'an speak of a buildup of massive armies. It talks about a seven-year end time period. There's discussion about the famine and other world judgments that are identical. So though the Qur'an emerged 622 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, it shares many of the same labels as the Bible. The Jesus of the Quran and the Jesus of the Bible are not the same and they do not coexist or offer the same forgiveness. So that is an example of a worldwide religion that was based on a new revelation, a new vision. Now, when looking at a worldwide religion that is based on omission, you would have to look at the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith does not believe in the New Testament. They do not consider Jesus the Messiah. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. So they would omit the New Testament. So what the Jewish people would view as accurate and dependable would be the tannic. The tannic, if laid side by side with the Old Testament, book for book, verse for verse, word for word, is identical. The tannic, which they believe in, in the Old Testament, are identical. It's when you move into the New Testament that they discount, they omit that. So, there's areas of faith that the Jewish people are still veiled. They do not have full revelation because they omit the New Testament. So, things that are still not understood to them, are clearly understood by christians for example when we look at the Tannic or the old testament in genesis 1:26 of both it says god said let us make man in our image in our likeness the jewish people only believe in god the father they do not believe in jesus the messiah or the holy spirit we have the revelation The mystery has been revealed in the New Testament. So we have the answer to that. So why does God refer to himself in the plural? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Or later in Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, speaking in the plural. Or God refers to himself when he says in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.8, Adam and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. So we understand that, that God is also a physical um, 100% God, 100% man, that is capable of walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Or in Exodus 33:11, where it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So we understand that this man, face to face, is the face of Jesus. The Jewish people would not understand that they are still waiting for this Messiah to come. And what's interesting is if you asked a Jewish person, "Tell me about this Messiah. Where does he come from?" They would say he comes from the line of David. If you ask them, "Well, what does he do?" Uh, they would they would say, "Well, the 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 says that." He will speak in parables, that he will calm the waters, that he will create food, that he will ride on a donkey, that he will be born of a virgin. All of these things are in the Old Testament. And we look at it and say, well, that has already happened. That was already fulfilled in Jesus. But because they omit the New Testament, they are shrouded. They are confused. It doesn't doesn't make sense uh, to them. They cannot... They cannot reconcile um, this mystery. So by omission, when the Bible or the Tanakh says, the spirit of God, my spirit, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord, which he speaks in Genesis and Isaiah and Joel and Ezekiel and, and Exodus and so forth. For us, we have clear understanding, but for the Jewish people, they do not. Or when the prophecy um, says that a child will be born. He will be called Mighty God. For us, we understand that that has already happened. They um, in Isaiah nine six they are still shrouded in a mystery. To them, that doesn't make sense. Or in the book of Daniel, when it talks about the Anointed One will go into the into the temple that's being rebuilt, and in that he will um, will be killed. Um, that uh, for us we understand that because that was fulfilled for them um it it doesn't make sense it's it's still um a mystery it's 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 lacking information so it's still um it it's frustrating they can, they cannot understand it uh, they they're based in rituals and and that's what they turn to because that is what they can understand so the jewish people based on jeremiah 31 are still waiting for the messiah to come and make a new covenant with the people um, they're still waiting for this Messiah to come and be beaten and, uh, and, and um, have his beard ripped out and being punched. Uh, they're waiting for this Messiah to be crucified, uh, to be lifted up, um, which is what Isaiah 52 says. They do not understand from Psalm 117 that they are the builders that rejected the capstone, the cornerstone, uh, which is Jesus. They do not understand about ransoms. Um, the Bible speaks in hundreds of places about God saying, "I will, I will pay a ransom to redeem you." Well, how how does God pay a ransom? Who who does He pay that to? Who does He redeem? If God owns everything in the world, who would He pay? What would He pay? Um, the Bible in the Old Testament in the Tanakh says. With, with a price you were purchased, not with gold or silver. You were purchased with blood. Well, whose blood? Well, that would be God's blood. So they do not understand that. So there's a lot of mysteries. So by um, omission, there's confusion. By adding information, by revelation and new visions, there's confusion. The way to truly understand it is to stay within the confines of the Bible. So what I mean by this is, is we have choices that are made every day where we can either choose what mankind presents to us or we can choose what God has presented to us in his scripture. I'll give you a couple examples. So when, re- when looking at a couple burials that are described in, um, in the Bible, uh, first I'll begin with Lazarus. This is in chapter 11. Uh, verse 43 it says when he had said this Jesus called in a loud voice Lazarus come out the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face then Jesus said to them take off his great grave clothes and let him go and then we have really a parallel account of another burial this one is Jesus when he's in the tomb he had arisen from the dead Apostle um, John gets to the tomb first. He looks in, and then Peter is right behind him. And this is what it says there. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. So what we have here is really two different examples of burials. So the point is that you can compare what's written in scripture, and then you can take a look at what mankind presents to us as maybe an alternative. And I speak specifically about the, the Shroud of Turan. So here you have the shroud, which is um, one, um, one piece, and it shows the front side and the back side of, of a body. And many people believe that this body, this image, was um, from the light of the uh, resurrection of Jesus and that that image had, had been transmitted onto this cloth. However, when you read the, the Gospels that, that we were just reading, it talks about strips of linen and a, a, a face covering, and uh, that this piece of linen was separate from that. Um, Well, that's not what the Shroud of Turan is. So why does that matter? Well, we go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and beginning in verse 5, it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day... No one knows where his grave is. Well, then we go to Jude, and Jude gives us this, a little bit of additional information. So in Jude 1.5, it reads, But even Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. So here you have, for some reason, the devil wanted to take possession of Moses' body when he died. To the point that God himself buried and hid Moses' body so that the devil would not be able to find it. So the devil, being a deceiver, obviously wanted to use Moses' body in some sort of a way that would deceive the people. That would lead them into the wrong direction. Then when we look into Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So here Jesus is pointing out that uh, that these religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees, are using this uh, make-believe authority, uh, like they're they're the next in succession to Moses, and what they say is it's as Moses said it. Uh, their interpretation is as if Moses said it. Well, Jesus is is saying that is uh, completely wrong, and we see um, we see this in in a couple of different ways. These religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees, um, when Jesus sees them um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter twelve, verse thirty four, and in Matthew twenty three thirty three, what does Jesus call these religious leaders? He calls them a brood of vipers. John the Baptist, um, as soon as he sees the religious leaders. What does John the Baptist uh, call them in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7? He calls them a brood of vipers. So, and then Jesus continues and he brings down condemnation to them. Um, In Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, um, after he talks about uh, they're sitting in Moses' seat, Jesus continues and he brings down condemnation to them. He he speaks seven woes. The woes are really judgment saying, you know, you're going to hell. And and what Jesus says is he describes these Pharisees and Sadducees. He describes the things they do. He said they they live on their own traditions um, rather than uh, on the word of God. And Jesus points out a variety of things. He brings out how they devour widows' homes. Um, There's a story about this widow that had put her last two copper coins into the treasury, the church treasury. And Jesus watching that says, you know, that's really an abomination. Um, you know, that's that's not virtuous to do that. It's really the church's job to take care of the widow. It's not the widow who takes care of the church. Um, you know, the church should be giving, you know, the widow two copper coins. It shouldn't be the, the, the widow giving the church two copper coins. Um, you know, Jesus in these woes talks about how you're devouring widows' homes. You're, you're ruining their finances. So everything is completely upside down in, in, in the view of Jesus and according to the Bible. So where did these religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees come from? They're nowhere to be found in the Old Testament by description or name. But then we turn to the New Testament and they're everywhere. They're a brood of vipers. They're getting woes. They put Jesus on a cross. So where do they come from? They're not there and then they're, they suddenly are there. So the answer to that is there's a 400 period of time between the end of the Old Testament, which the last book is called Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Matthew. There's a 400-year period year period of time where God is not speaking. He's not, uh, um, he's not having any prophecy. Things have gone quiet um, pertaining to God. And it's during this time when... Um, mankind reinterprets God, they say, "Well, if working on the Sabbath is um, breaking a command, shouldn't we define what work is? So they redefine things to a lower standard that they could abide by because they could not abide by god's standard, and then these religious leaders put themselves in charge of judging others to see who they uh, to see who was being um, compliant to their man made laws. Uh, Romans chapter ten, and verse two says, uh, "For I can testify about them as they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own." So that's an example of of where they lowered God's righteousness and they elevated their own. They say God is more tolerant of sin than He truly is. And to give you an additional example. This is a conversation between the Pharisees and Sadducees and Jesus. This is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. Uh, it says, Why do the disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands before they eat, meaning ceremonially. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So, so here you have a situation where everything becomes very ritualized. And they forget the um, they forget the standard of God, and the people are calling Jesus out, saying, "Hey, how come you're not following our Sabbath? How come you're not doing the ceremonial washings?" And Jesus said, "Well, why are you doing those things? Um, you know, that's not according to God. Those are your man-made traditions. Uh, these are things you made up, um, sitting on uh, the seat of Moses. Um, there's a lot of perception that uh, that things are religious." But the religious is not connected to God. So think of it this way. If you're Satan and your goal is to deceive people, um, you want as many people to fall into destruction as you can. Because if, if God loves people, you're the opposite, which means Satan hates people. So if if you're Satan, are you going to be more effective with the masses? If you're sitting on a street corner foaming at the mouth? Um, Are people going to go and look up to that person and say, yeah, that's somebody I want to follow? Or if you're Satan, do you want to really take a role within the church itself so that as a leader of the church, you can lead people into false doctrines and into false thinking um, so that you can lead not just one person, into destruction, but you can lead the entire congregation into destruction. Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, gave us a warning about this, um, you know, because we may think, hey, there's security in numbers that the faith or religion that I'm a member of may have, you know, hundreds or thousands or or millions or even a billion members, and certainly we cannot all be wrong. You know, there might be a sense that there's comfort in numbers. So here's what Peter says. In Second Peter, it says, "But there was also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord." So we have to ask ourselves, who do we pray to? Do we pray to, to the Lord, or do we pray to the dead? Do we pray to um, you know other biblical fe- um, people, or to the Lord Himself? So he continues and he he gives he talks about how they they fabricate stories um, meaning that when we read about the people in the Bible are they really the same people today that we um, you know that we elevate um so so we'll talk about that in a moment and but it says that he does uh, they do this to their destruction and then he gives us uh, examples he gives us several examples about uh, the fact we should not have Uh, comfort in numbers he says God did not spare the angels so you think about it the fallen angels at one time they were all holy angels there's no salvation for them Jesus did not go on the cross to um, bring salvation to the angels they are doomed for destruction they will be in hell forever Uh, there is no uh, there is no uh, salvation for them and then he goes through and he he lists Sodom and Gomorrah in verse uh, 6 um, you know those two cities, they were burned, you know, with sulfur and ashes. You know there were all those people in there. There was no salvation. There was no comfort in numbers. They were all destructed, uh, uh, brought to destruction. And then he looks at at um, uh, at uh, Noah, and he said, you know, God flooded the world. Every human being, every animal, uh, perished except for eight people on Noah's ark. So, you know, do you think the people of the world at that time said, hey, you know, we're on the right side. There's too many of us. Certainly we can't be judged. Um, you know, like I mentioned in another po- podcast, judgment comes through one at a time, like a, like a turnstile. It's not groups. It's not the broad road. Uh, the broad road leads to destruction. It's the narrow, hidden road in the, in the hidden gate. That's how we get into heaven. So Peter gives us some warnings um, about these about these people, where even, you know, whatever the world population was at the time of, of Noah, every one of them perished except for eight people. I think it's fair to look at our traditions and ask, are they really Bible-based? For example, um, we have the, uh, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And the truth of the matter is, if you asked, a hundred people, random people, even Christian people, um, you know, tell me about the Immaculate Conception. You know, who who is that speaking of? I guarantee you 50%, if not more, will say that that Immaculate Conception pertains to Jesus. But it doesn't. The Immaculate Conception pertains to the Virgin Mary. The thinking of that time was that um, that the Virgin Mary, how could she have god of the universe in her womb if she was a sinner so in on december 8 1854 um the pope speaking ex cathedra had made a pro, uh, proclamation that the virgin mary was born without original sin however in my estimation what the what the pope overlooked was that that is one not in the bible um two it, uh, it, it overlooks the fact that Mary herself um, proclaimed herself a sinner in need of a Savior, and that it also overlooks the fact that you and I, um, hopefully, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we have to ask ourselves well, if, if that's true, is the Holy Spirit God? And if the Holy Spirit is God, well, how can the Holy Spirit, who is God, be in you and I, a sinner? Uh, but for some reason could not be in the virgin mary so um you know so in relatively modern times um that proclamation was made and then in 1950 um it was added to that the virgin mary had a bodily assumption up into heaven um now the bible gives us great detail about uh, the virgin mary uh, remember jesus on the cross he looked at apostle john and said you know John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. So Jesus was giving custody because he no longer was going to be around to be able to take care of the needs and protect um, uh, the, the the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it says that she lived with him for the rest of her life. So um, when we look at these things, um, is the Virgin Mary the only, only person that was ever blessed? Um, you know, is that unique? You know, certainly that is a, Uh, A great uh, you know accreditation but uh, you know but there's dozens of people in the Bible that uh, that were called blessed Um, you know so it it, you know it's a great status but it's not you know it's not unique it doesn't elevate up to up to deity if you will so we just want to take a look at this Uh, was the Virgin Mary a a perpetual virgin well you know um, to have sexual relations within a marriage is not sinful uh, the Bible talks about the children that uh, she had after Jesus. Uh, certainly Jesus was born uh, from a virgin, but after his birth, you know, she's married. She had re- regular relations. It, it says so in, in the Bible. Um, it says that she was a, a virgin until uh, Jesus was, was born. Um, so so that's what the Bible would say. It would list the, the brothers and sisters. Well, these are half-brothers and half-sisters because the source of Jesus is God the Father not Joseph. Um, and then you may think, well, perhaps these half-brothers or half-sisters came from a prior marriage to uh, from Joseph that maybe uh, a first wife had died and he remarried um, the Virgin Mary and uh, had these kids and, and these are really step-brothers and step-sisters. But that poses problems biblically because we have the lineage and it says that Jesus was the next to sit on the throne which Jesus would not have have been able to fulfill if he was the youngest, if all these older brothers and sisters, uh, that lineage would have been passed down from Joseph to them, not to Jesus. So it's better just to stay within the confines of of what the Bible says because, you know, the Virgin Mary is a very important person within the Bible, but it may not be, she may not be the same person that we are, uh, perhaps in certain cases, elevating today. Well, what does the worldwide church look like? Not worldwide religion, that was admonished, but what does the worldwide church look like? Well, it really has to do with John the Baptist's voice. What is being said? It's the gospel, it's the knowledge about God, it's the revelation about God as written in scriptures. So Romans 10.15 uh, and Isaiah fifty two seven, they speak in terms of, the feet of the of the of the believer who's carrying the good news, you know, blessed are they when you see someone walking, giving you good news of the gospel. You know, their feet walk in your direction. I mean, that is the most important thing. Just like John's voice is important, those that are walking into your life and giving you the gospel, you know, that's you know that's the blessing. That's the you know that's the wonderful thing. That's what that's what uh, they say there. So the worldwide church. Um, Based on revelation seven nine is really an invisible church. It's not a it's not a card carrying um, club membership. It, uh revelation seven nine says it's every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, they all make up. We all make up the church. So it's individuals. These individuals um, will come out of America. They'll come out of China. They'll come out of the U.K. They'll come out of Africa and Australia and Turkey and Afghanistan and Russia and Rome and uh, Rome, Italy, and, and all of these places, countries, and all these regions in the world. Um, it's individuals that are, um, you know, that are coming to faith individually, individually, like a turnstile walking through one at a time. Um, so it's one individual in this country, one individual there, but it com- it comprises. Of every every people, every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue. Um, so that is ultimately who, uh, what the church is. Who the church is. So it's the good news of the gospel that builds and unites the church. Um, the scriptures um, acknowledge God, um, and it's all of that that is sufficient to save. That's what it says in Acts. Uh, chapter eight, verse thirty, that that this uh, the knowledge of the scripture, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His ways, what uh, what He how He wants us to live, um, it that is what's sufficient to save, and we can find out about those things through the scripture. So what is all of this saying? All of this is saying is the way we know Christ is from the scriptures. So if we ignore the the Bible, if we ignore the scriptures we're really ignoring Christ by ignoring one. We're really ignoring both. Um, We would also want to understand that the, the proper structure of a church um, is detailed in first Timothy verse three. So yes, you know, there is leadership in church. It's not a free for all. It's not, you know, solely individuals that there is a church of believers. And those are done through deacons and, and you know by, by living moral um, lives so that others would look at us and say, yes, they're trustworthy, they're, they're true, I can believe in them. So First Timothy goes through the structure. The, the, the book of First Timothy, uh, beginning in chapter 3, goes through really what the structure of the church is. And it doesn't necessarily look like the structure of the church that maybe you and I are familiar with. If you and I go to a church, I would ask myself, Can you find a Bible in it? I mean, if we're reading God's word, if God truly came to earth and God really truly spoke um, through the Bible, through his scriptures, it seems to me that we should be able to find a Bible in the building. Um, If if there's not a Bible that exists, you know, that would raise some some questions or concerns for me. That maybe you would want to find or make sure you're in a church that is biblical based as opposed to ritual based one of the examples that uh, maybe can help us visualize this is if you think of your um your favorite sports team when you were growing up or your favorite um candy bar um if you if you just think about that for a minute and in and now you look at it today um are those players still playing um have they retired have they been traded to other teams um are you um, the candy bar is it is it made out of the same ingredients? Did they maybe change things over the course of time where um, no longer is that chocolate bar um, you know made out of cocoa or made out of a cream of, of milk? Uh, maybe they to save cost and to keep it from melting and give it longer shelf life, maybe they change some ingredients in it. So even though the outward wrapper or the outward jersey looks the same, the players, in the ingredients that are inside, no longer are what you first fell in love with. So you would have to ask yourself, you know, is there a sleight of hand here where you're just buying something that looks familiar, or you're cheering for something that that looks familiar? It's a jersey, but it's not really your people anymore. It's not your. Um, it's not how you remembered um, eating that that candy bar or whatever it is. So the point of it is that just because things are are wrapped in a religious wrapper or because people are speaking about heaven in religious things doesn't mean that they're going to heaven, utopia, or paradise. Rather, you would want to consider how your faith deals with your sin problem. How is it paid for? How was it removed? How was it atoned for? The person that Jesus elevated was John the Baptist. He said of those born of woman, none is greater than John the Baptist. He said that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. But he put a disclaimer on. He said those born of woman. Well, Jesus was excluding himself because he was really not born in the natural way. He was born of a virgin. So so unlike you and I and John the Baptist who were born in the natural way of a woman, Jesus was not. And he puts a disclaimer on. He said, John the Baptist was the greatest in that category. However, compared to those in heaven, he would be the least because John the Baptist, like everybody else, is a sinner. So compared to those in heaven that have no sin, John would be the least. Or in, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a a hall of fame if you will a, a biblical hall of fame if um, somebody was to be highlighted or elevated perhaps that would be um, a place to um, to do so or when solomon in matthew chapter 20 verse 21 said jesus do for me whatever it is i ask and jesus said what is it you ask and she said put one of my sons on your left hand side and one in your right hand side when you're in your kingdom and Jesus said, you don't know what you asked for. You know, he, he said, are, you, are they able to, to drink the cup of persecution that Jesus himself was going to drink from? He didn't say, um, well, those spots are assigned for so-and-so. So there's many opportunities that if Jesus wanted to elevate somebody, he could have done that. Um, think uh, more in terms of the thief on the cross the thief on the cross <clears throat> turned to Jesus and and said, we deserve to be here because we've committed sin. You do not deserve to be here because you've committed no sin. And Jesus turned to him and said, based on that faith, you will join me in paradise today. You will join me in heaven today. Well, that thief on the cross, that was solely on faith. It wasn't based on you know, any rituals or things that he had done or accomplished or checklist of of things that he did. There's one way to get into heaven, and that is solely on, on faith. So, in conclusion, we want to make sure that we're not adding things to the Bible. We want to make sure we're not eliminating things to the Bible, and we want to stay rooted in what is in the Scripture, what is in the Bible, and not be uh, led astray um, as as Satan would hope to do.